Following Notre Dame's embarrassing loss against Louisville, it feels like the season is on the brink of collapse. So on today's show, Luke Smith and I search for the positives and try to figure out if there's a way Notre Dame can come back from this. No matter what happens, though, it's going to start from the top. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018, and now I'm a producer covering college football at Fox Sports. And today's episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. The everyday listeners know that on Tuesdays, I'm joined by my old co-host, Luke Smith, to go over the three things we each liked and didn't like from the game on Saturday. But considering how awful Notre Dame's performance was against the Louisville Cardinals, there wasn't a ton to like, to be honest with you. But we still covered the few positives that did happen, plus we cover all the negative stuff, and we try to come up with, with solutions as well, because Notre Dame still has five games left to play, including a big one on Saturday against arch-rival USC. And even though making the college football playoff is no longer a possibility, there's still a lot more to play for the rest of the way. So let's get into it. Let's bring in Luke. All right, Luke, needless to say, this past Saturday was not the most fun Saturdays we've had this fall. Notre Dame fell to Louisville 33-20, to and it was a pretty embarrassing game. You and I have talked offline. We've tried to reconcile with the loss and try to figure out what to make of it, but... The first question I want to ask you before we get into the three things, do you think that Saturday is, we're going to look back on it as a one-off, or do you think that this is a sign of some ugly things to come for the rest of the season? It's a really good question because I think that there are a lot of threads between whatever happened in Kentucky Saturday night and some of the no-shows we've seen under a previous regime, like, Miami 2017 comes to mind. Michigan 2019 comes to mind where you're kind of just like, what just happened there? However, as it pertains to this season, I do have a little bit more concern because this team appears to be very beaten up and very devoid of energy and frankly, without a pulse on offense. So while I would like to believe that, okay, this is just a burn-the-tape sort of game, and maybe, obviously, not going to name out of the playoff, but they can still redirect and, and you know correct the course of their season. I don't know how healthy this group is now and just where the mental, I don't know, space is. So I have a lot of questions. There hasn't been a ton of carryover week to week for this Notre Dame team this season. Like, coming out of the Ohio State game, despite how brutal that loss was, there were certainly a lot of positive things you could take from that game that would that you could look at and consider as a sign of good things to come. And then the Duke game happened, and then that seemed really odd and certainly wasn't uh, was not a continuation of the positives we saw from Ohio State. But then you could sort of look at that and be like, well, coming off a really difficult loss, like you could kind of make excuses for it. There's just really no excuse for how Notre Dame performed against Louisville. I understand that it was the seventh game in seven straight weeks. Well, they got eight coming up this weekend, but you're on the road, you're in a hostile environment, you're playing a ranked opponent. 
that effort and that performance was just unacceptable no matter which way you look at it. And one thing that you and I have also talked about is Matt Bayless in his resignation starting to show up a little bit this season. It is a little bit reminiscent of what Notre Dame went, uh, went through in 2014 when they just cratered at the end of the year. But the team is still 5-2, and two, and what I really don't want this season to become is a repeat of last season in the sense that it was just not fun to watch at all. Mm-hmm. And that was in large part due to the fact the offense was anemic and terrible because of who was at quarterback and the injuries there. That's not really the case right now. This is a completely different and, frankly, more disappointing situation on offense because they have a really good quarterback. And I understand that the receivers have been basically zeros these past two weeks. It's not like they don't have some talent or some athleticism and certainly more than they did last year. So that's what concerns me. And I think that there is still a way for this season to be fun. A win on Saturday would certainly go a long way, but that is really the most concerning thing for me right now as a fan is watching this saying, I'm not getting any enjoyment watching this team play. It's a great point. I mean, I list, anybody that would listen to me on Saturday during the game, I was saying this looks like Iowa. It, it, you just have a little bit of makeup on a pig. Like That's how bad and without a chance the offense looked. The Pressure was just immediately on Sam Hartman every play, and when it wasn't, receivers weren't doing anything. It looked like Iowa's offense. It was horrendous. That's never a place we should be or or want to be, but as you start to think about it, you brought up the Matt Bayless point. Let's just list off how many main guys are dealing with some sort of injury right now that we know of, okay? So you have on the offensive line, Blake Fisher has this hand that's injured. Although, if you ask me, that might have just happened on that stupid face mask he had. I don't really know if he actually is hurt. He might just stink. Um, Pat Coogan's hurt. Uh, you have, obviously, Audrey Estime looks like he's dealing with something, too. He was limping the whole game. He had 10 carries for 20 yards. I, I don't know how that happens. Tobias Merriweather's dealing with the hamstring. You have Jaden Greathouse with the hamstring. You have Jaden Thomas with the hamstring. You have... Matt Salerno out for the season. You have Deion Colsey with a knee scope. This all goes back to how many, I mean, it's just not good training, obviously, right? These guys aren't built for this. That's what that tells me. Yeah, I think part of it is training. Part of it is just the grind of a schedule. This is the time of year, whether Notre Dame had had a bye week or not, this is when injuries start to show up, especially those minor ones like the hamstrings, the nagging things that just sort of happen in a season. But I also hear you in that this does seem to be a little bit more than normal, and it's it's a real cause for concern. And you, you just named on offense, and then on defense, there's right. some guys yeah. dealing with some injuries as well. Thomas Harper missed the game with concussion. Gabriel Rubio, it looks like there's still some lingering effects with his knee injury, which is not a surprise. The fact that he came back so quickly from that knee might have been the biggest surprise of all. So there's still clearly some issues with Notre Dame's endurance right now, the grind of the schedule and all that. And it's maybe something that we underestimated going into the season because, look, I I looked at the eight-game stretch thing as like a like I admitted, yeah, it was weird that Notre Dame did not have a bye before they played USC in the middle of the year because they almost always do. They almost always have a bye during midterms week, and then you come back after fall break, and then you play USC uh, on two weeks of rest. I don't know what happened this year. I'm sure that there's a reason and that there's someone in the athletic department that could explain why Notre Dame was not able to do that. Still, though, it seems if you can't do that with USC, you could find a way to make another bye week work before that game because right now Notre Dame is in a really tough spot, not just mentally having to come off that loss to Louisville, but now having to get back up for USC. But I also consider that 
it is USC. Like, if the team can't get up and they can't get ready to go against their arch rival at home at night, especially when they just got embarrassed on national television, that's not necessarily an endurance thing or a training thing. That is all mental, and that does reflect, uh, as uh, they say and Remember the Titans, attitude reflects leadership, Captain, and that would be a big, big concern. Where the hell was the leadership in Louisville? Um, <laughs> anyways, but yeah, I, I get your point. It's it's a frightening prospect. <laughs> what they're well, I don't know that my brain has actually gotten all the way there yet. That they are playing the reigning Heisman Trophy winner this week because it's funny. <laughs> until about what I don't know, there was ten seconds left or a minute left in the Ohio State game. You're probably thinking that like the hype for this game would be biblical you realistically should have two undefeated Notre Dame and USC in South Bend box big noon kickoff there they don't even have the game uh instead now it's it's like there's rain in the forecast it's gonna be 50 degrees and it's kind of just like oh I forgot about this you gotta do this <laughs> game still <laughs> that's so sad to think about and how crazy is it that Notre Dame is favored right by two and a half right now it is crazy. I I did watch the end of that USC game. I did not watch when they were down 17 to 0 to start the game against Arizona, so I can't really tell you what was going on early there. That defense is really bad, but Notre offense is really, <laughs> really bad too. <laughs> it's when the extremely movable force meets, meets the incredibly or no, that's not right. What would the line be? Uh when the Extreme, extremely movable object meets yeah. an extremely uh, immobile force. I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah, something like that. We'll be right back with Luke to talk more about Notre Dame's loss to the Louisville Cardinals, but I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you about one of our new sponsors here at Locked On called Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill based real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they will do more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Price Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience, and you can watch your progress update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. I've been playing Prize Picks recently, and I have no idea why I waited so long. What I love about it is that you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals and sharks. Go to prizepicks.com slash lockedoncollege and use code lockedoncollege for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash lockedoncollege, code lockedoncollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode is also brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun you're going to have. If you plan on attending the USC game this weekend and are still in need of a ticket, Game Time is the perfect place for you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set, and the tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and Use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right. Well, in the spirit of the segment, we do have to find three things that we liked, and this was a struggle, I will admit. So why don't you go 
Go ahead and lead us off here with the first thing that you liked. Uh, one of the few from the Louisville game. Yeah, I don't have three. I only have two. Um, but um, and <laughs> and the second one is kind of a pity one. You have to say Jordan Faison. I guess that was cool. Um, two catches for forty-eight yards and a touchdown. His other catch that wasn't the touchdown was a big first down on third down too. Outside of Mitchell Evans, he was the only pass catcher able to make a play all night. I really don't get why he didn't see the field after those two plays or after that drive either. I understand that the guy had never played in a college football game really before, and he was a freaking walk-on lacrosse player. But I just I felt like that could have been a potential answer, or at least worth trying. Um, but it's a really pathetic state of affairs that that is the only receiver who can make a play is that guy uh, and shout out to him. I mean, I would expect to see him involved here moving forward based on just the speed he showed the other night, but yeah, that's where we're at. How fitting is it that the one positive thing that we saw from the Notre Dame game can immediately be twisted into a negative because he wasn't used after he made two big plays early on. Like that's just the state of things right now. I Yeah. I, I mean, we talked about this earlier. I would love to know what the offensive game plan was because as far as, as far as what I could see, there wasn't one. Uh, I don't know what the objectives were. I'm serious. Like I know I, I really don't generally go going like going after play callers, but there was just, there didn't seem to be any purpose. And it was more kind of like when you're playing Madden against some guy that's really, really good. And you're just like, okay, this place got to work this time. I'm going to press a bunch of buttons. Like that's what I saw. Yeah. I, we have plenty more to get to, but I do want to knock out some of the positive things before we get to the negative because uh, my first one is Cam Hart. Um, and it sounds like Marcus Freeman was pretty tough on the team at halftime, which, as he should, especially after that first half performance by Notre Dame. And then Notre Dame comes out and makes a play right out of the gate in the second half. Cam Hart, on the only reception that he allowed all game, immediately forces a fumble. He makes a play. Notre Dame finally recovers a fumble, which... Outside of the Howard Cross one, or outside of the Howard Cross force fumble at the end of the Duke game, it seemed like Notre Dame was never ever going to be able to recover a fumble. Um, but they did get one here, and it was like, all right, bad first half. Finally, this team has found its gear, and they're going to come out and make a statement. And then Notre Dame's offense got four yards and four plays. But I want to keep the focus on Hart because he has had a truly incredible season. And I'm not going to lie, I wasn't sure that he had that in him anymore. Through no fault of him, it's just the fact that he dealt with so many injuries throughout his career, and he's a fifth-year cornerback. Like, you typically don't see a big leap from a player like that, but he has had an outstanding season so far. Uh, he's only allowed five receptions on 16 targets for just 84 yards. He hasn't given up a touchdown. He's had three passes defended and two forced fumbles. And credit to him. He said he feels like he could be a first-round NFL draft pick. I don't know if he's going to be a first-round pick just given his injury history, but he's played like one all year, and this is – it almost feels like a waste that Notre Dame has had such an unbelievable duo at cornerback with him and Benjamin Morrison, and they have another big test this weekend. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to him because finally someone made a play in a big moment. It didn't lead to a win, but he made a great play. He has played really well all year, and you're right. They are going to need him again this week against a really high-powered Trojan offense, but it does feel like a waste, just like Chris Tyree dropping a touchdown after that play was a waste. That This is a play that should have changed the trajectory of that game. I firmly believe that if they score a touchdown there, Notre Dame wins that game going away. 
I, I think that that would have taken all the energy out of the crowd. Instead, they just got apps. They continued to get punked on offense um, and on defense. Well, not really on defense. I actually kind of, I don't really want to go in all in on the defense here because given the positions they were put in, I, I think they did about as well as they could have outside of a couple busts from the safety position. But back to your point on, point on Cam Hart. He's played really well, and they're going to need him again this week. Yeah, they definitely are going to need him again. I don't know if I would say that Notre Dame would have won going away if Tyree had scored that just because of what they were giving up on the ground. I think if you were to have one critique of the defense in this game, it was that they were getting dominated on first down by Louisville. They were able to tighten it up. And they were dealt a really bad hand on multiple possessions just with a field position that Notre Dame's offense basically gave Louisville. But that was a little frustrating. They gave up a lot of yards on the ground. They were dominated on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, really. But the next thing I liked, and it sort of goes back to your Jordan Faison one, uh, was I really liked what I saw from Jeremiah Love. Um, he was Notre Dame's uh, leading rusher. And at this point, I feel like he's the most exciting offensive player when he has the ball in his hands. He had five carries for 37 yards, two catches for 16 yards. But then it goes back to the Jordan Faison thing. You have this positive, but then you don't really utilize it the best that you can. Like if Jeremiah Love is consistently gaining yards when he gets touches and he's able to make plays in the outside when basically no one else on offense is stepping up, then why aren't you using him more? And we, we thought it might happen this week. Um, he looked great against Ohio State. But then against Duke and Louisville, he just really hasn't had that many opportunities to make a big play. And it just leads you back to the question you asked at the beginning. What is the plan on offense? And right now, I just don't know what it is. If the plan is to scheme their best playmakers the ball, they're doing a horrible job at it. Uh, and I this is something that, think about last year, Notre Dame had Michael Mayer and only Michael Mayer, and they found ways to get him open, even though everybody knew the ball was going to him. And this is where you're starting to see some of the offensive schematic inefficiencies or deficiencies, I should say here. They don't have that same ability to, to get these guys open. Where are those wheel routes that we would run to Logan Diggs and, and Audric Estime last year? That They're not a part of this offense, it seems like. Where's the screen pass that they tried against Ohio State? And if JTT doesn't you know, sniff it out and wins that game, that could have worked against the Blitz. I, I don't know. Um, it's obviously easy for me to sit here and say all these things, but just the consistent stubbornness of the offense of – not really having any direction was alarming to see. It just does not, it's not very inspiring. And you're right. Uh, Love has looked very good, and you would like to get him the ball more, but that was not a part of the offense for whatever reason. And now the offense is relying on their shaky kicker, or at least shaky so far this season, Spencer Schrader, who actually did have a good day on Saturday. He did. That was the only other thing I liked. Uh, he actually showed up. He made two bombs, one from 53, one from 54. She got into a fight with some analytics people telling me that they needed to go for it on that second field goal. Um, was that the fourth and four? Yes. However, if you watched that game, I, I, I know that the analytics probably tell you you got to go for that. Analytics don't account for game flow. There was absolutely no shot in how they were picking that fourth and four up. Uh, if you've just watched that offense all game, it was not happening. Um, so, Thankfully, he did make the kick. Like, I'm not going to tell you that your analytics are wrong. I get that. But there was no chance that Notre Dame offense was picking up that fourth and four. What did you think of that fourth and 11 call in the fourth quarter? I hated it. I hated, hated it, too. It. I hated mean, it too. what are you doing? I, and that was just I, 
there was a lot of guessing going on is what it looked like, or a lot of praying, I should say, from the Notre Dame coaching staff, and that was another glaring instance of it. You're down 11 with 10 minutes left, and you're going for it on your own 30. What are you doing? I totally agree. I hated it in the moment. I know some. I don't people, even care. They only held him to three, <laughs> right? And that's what Freeman sort of referenced in his post game and why he decided to go for it there. And look, we can we can shift now to the things we don't like. And actually, I didn't even have this written down, but I hated it. And it's the third straight game in the fourth quarter that Marcus Freeman made an inexplicable mistake when the game was still in balance. And if it wasn't just Marcus Freeman, if you want to credit Jared Parker for that as well, in a position like that. Marcus Freeman had to give the go-ahead to go for it on fourth down. Notre Dame, in the past two games, has converted 25% on third down. It is an absolute miracle that Sam Hartman converted that fourth and 16. A miracle, okay? I don't know what Freeman was thinking going for that fourth down there when you don't have any receivers on the outside other than a walk-on lacrosse player who can make a play. At that point... They were only down 11 if they punt it and force a three and out. Then they get the ball back in favorable field position, you would assume, only down 11. Instead, you're basically giving the defense a terrible hand, and you're like, hey, you have to force a three and out here and force a field goal, which they did to their credit. But to ask that and expect that of the defense when the game is still very much in in balance is just insane to me. And if you were looking at the odds there of – Notre Dame converting that play, if it's 25% on third down, and that includes third and short, fourth down and 11 at that point in the game, it had to be less than 10%, and they went for it anyway. It just makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, nor did anything about anything they did offensively. Like like I just said, what was the game plan? Did anybody ask that? I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I know that I saw Freeman say today in his presser, they need to be able to establish the run. Um, how about establishing the pass so that they don't have 11 guys, all 11 <laughs> guys in the box? Um, it's just not a very well-prepared football team. Um, like I said, not a game plan. The two egregious face masks. Um, Blake Fisher, what are you doing? Maris Leofow away from the play, what are you doing? Um, that's coaching right there. You just can't have that. There's guys tired, guys hurt. It, just a lack of energy, and and that all comes from the top down. It's just, it's not a pretty sight. And there's nothing like, like kind of like you said earlier. It's starting to turn into last year. It's like this team just isn't fun to watch again. Yeah, that's a scary sight. I will say, and we've already alluded to this a little bit. Like Notre Dame's lack of a plan on offense is maddening, and I don't want to sound like we're just ranting about, oh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and then not offering up any potential solutions. But if there's not really a plan, big picture, for an offense, that's concerning, obviously. But I just don't think Notre Dame is in a position like they were last year when they just didn't have any playmakers on offense. And yes, they've got a receiver who is a converted running back who's probably not the best true wide receiver. That's fine. But he is effective with the ball in his hands. How many jet sweeps has Chris Tyree run this year? And then if you are going to run it, don't do it on third and one on an end around. That was so, like, it's so frustrating, Notre Dame's inability to get their playmakers the ball in any sort of advantageous situation. I actually referenced Dan Orlovsky's tweet yesterday, and he pointed this out. 
Quote, Notre Dame's offense is way, way, way too stagnant and static pre-snap. Very little help to get players to win, get open. Notre Dame has talented guys on offense. I would agree, Dan. And, you know, people like to make fun of Tommy Reese for how much motion he ran. Fine. Have you watched an NFL game lately? What are all the best offenses doing? They're running a Mm -hmm. lot of motion to get their best players, their best skilled players in space to make plays. Notre Dame does none of that. They also barely run play action anymore. And I realize that if you look at the stats from the last couple of games, when Notre Dame has ran play action, it hasn't been super productive, but they're not running it in great spots. And Notre Dame does not have very talented receivers right now. And Greg Flamong and uh, Jamie Uyama from Irish Sports Daily have been on this for a while. You've got to do things to help out your skilled players because they just aren't winning straight up one-on-ones. And Notre Dame is not doing it right now. And it begs the question, why not? It's a great question. <laughs> um, I, that's that's what I keep going back to. Are just what are we trying to accomplish here? Because that is not clear whatsoever, and there's a lot of guessing. And that's kind of what I want to go back to. Just like the overall aura of this team right now. There's horrible body language. Uh, I understand there wasn't much to be excited about, but there just seemed to be a serious lack of effort or care on the sidelines Saturday night, both players and coaches. In fact, the way they came out, you you would have thought they had just lost to Duke in crippling fashion last week, not had a last second win. I, I was thinking this all day, and, and then actually right before we recorded this, I, I was listening to Irish Illustrated, and Tim O'Malley remarked how the team, and Marcus Freeman specifically, came out in pregame an hour before looking like a team that had already lost. How does that happen? Um, I, I thought Freeman's demeanor on the sideline just looked really bad all night. Didn't look like he was in control. And I think that extended to how the team played. Um, I, he just, uh, okay, he got on them at halftime. Why did they look like they didn't want to be there to start the game then? Like, that's that's on you, man. I, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get where that's coming from. Luke and I still have plenty more to get to, but I wanted to remind you about our new show here at the Lockdown Podcast Network called College Football Kickoff Live, which airs every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. College Football Kickoff Live will cover everything going on in the sport and go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight and analysis from our stable of college hosts covering their team every day. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand, and it's simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medical medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 off by using code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com, promo code LOCKEDON. The body language is horrible across the board, and a couple of the people who I was watching the game with commented on it during the game. They mentioned that Marcus Freeman looked scared, and at first... In the moment, I was like, eh, maybe he's just probably annoyed with his team and the way that they were playing. But then I rewatched it, and I was focusing on that. It was bad, man. Mm-hmm. He looked like he had no answers, like he didn't know what was going on, and frankly, just rattled by the moment. And going into the game, we had talked about how Louisville, like it was going to be a hostile environment, packed crowd and all that stuff, but it's not like Notre Dame has not dealt with that before. And Notre Dame was winning the game in the third <laughs> quarter. 
it was not like the wheels had completely fallen off mm-hmm. and still the body language. And I understand there was never really that many great moments to really ride that high, but there was the forced fumble at the start of the third quarter mm-hmm. by Cam Hart. Like there were some spots where you're like, all right, this is a big swing in momentum. Notre Dame can take advantage of this. Usually it was the offense who was not able to live up to that. But as a coach, you have got to get your guys more amped up and look like you're in control on the sideline. And there was never a point from what they showed on the broadcast where you could point to Marcus Freeman and say, that's a guy who's getting his team ready to go. That's a guy who's ready to lead this team from behind. And it's a big concern because that's really never been the book on him. We all hear about how much the players love him, and I'm not doubting that's true. I think the players do really enjoy playing with him and like him as a person. But when times are tough, can they count on on him to lead them? And frankly, what we saw on Saturday does not suggest that you can't. No, and I think that extends to kind of some of the stuff they were doing. I know one of the other things you wanted to talk about was the offensive line. What what was going on there? <laughs> Dude, it made no sense in the moment. It makes less sense when you think back on it. And now we're hearing that Pat Coogan was dealing with a nagging, uh, I think it was a knee injury, right? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. That Start Trout then. Yeah. Don't just throw him in the game. Yeah. Hey, Stroud, things are going bad. Just... Get your ass out there. Make a play. And I will say, if you look outside of the play where he got blown up on basically his first snap, I thought he actually played okay after that, but it's just a completely unfair position to be thrown into on the road where you're just like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, we're not doing anything on offense. Here you go, Billy Shroff. Go on in the game. Yeah, clearly they have no faith in the guards right now, which is a big concern. I don't know how much that has to do with Coogan's injury or just their play against Duke, but like, that's another thing that we talked about at the beginning of this. Notre Dame has shown enough on the offensive line, including against Ohio State, that shows you that they are capable. Like, they can be successful against good defenses. To throw all of that away because of a bad game against Duke when you're like, all right, well, now we have to rotate. That just seems, like, reactionary. And not it's just it's not a good way to go about things, especially on a unit that is built on reps and experience playing with the guy beside you. So if you want to rotate guys and you want to throw out a different combination, okay. You want to bring Billy Shrouth in instead of Pat Coogan, okay. Why is Andrew Kostovich playing center? And I understand that Zeke Carell had a bad game against Duke, but what what are we doing? It just it all goes they back don't have to control yeah, of the situation. They don't <laughs> have control. And it makes you wonder what the plan was. And even when you try to take a step back and say, okay, they didn't execute better, which Marcus Freeman has said ad nauseum over the past couple of days. And I'm not doubting that Notre Dame has not executed well. But even if they had executed, what was the plan? And it's really, really difficult to, to grasp right now. Yeah, that's my number one question is what was the plan? And I it does not appear we're going to get answers. And I don't have a lot of faith we're going to have one going into this week either. Um, the one last thing I did want to touch on, a little bit bigger picture, less specific to Notre Dame. The broadcast was horrible. It was horrible. Um, Joe Tess and Jordan Rogers were just filleting Louisville all night. I, I don't usually get caught up in this broadcast thing like, I think Notre Dame fans get easily offended by Kirk Herbstreit for some reason, which I don't really get because I think he's always pretty fair and balanced and it's weird to me, but this was bad. Uh, They were just at every turn like, oh, and Louisville has been waiting for a night like this for so long. Look at these fans. Look at Jack Harlow, who, by the way, absolute loser. Okay. That guy is a cringe loser. Uh, I know that you have a history with him, so I'll I'll leave that. But that guy, I, I, 
I wanted to punch him in the face seeing him on the TV. He didn't even go to Louisville, did he? No, he didn't go to college. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I would say worse things about that guy, but I'm going to hold back because he's just not worth <laughs> my breath any longer. But I just really couldn't. We It was so bad, we turned off the broadcast and just listened in silence for a while because I, I, that just can't happen. I, I don't know what that was. I do think that criticism of broadcast booths can be overblown. This one I didn't notice, but I think it was just because there were two games on and uh, the volume. I wasn't as like dialed into the actual broadcast on the TV, so I can't really comment too much about that. My history with Harlow, uh, it's not a super positive one. Um, not like, I mean, I've met him a, a couple times, but it's not anything uh, like we're not close friends or anything like that. As a matter of fact, uh, me and my friends from home were the biggest haters possible yeah, of his I was music let you when, say he, that. Yeah. when he was coming up. And then when What's Poppin' came out, I was literally so floored that the curly-haired prepubescent high schooler that I had met years ago who was making terrible music had obviously made it mainstream. But, yeah, I mean, I totally understand why people would get annoyed by him. He had maybe the worst appearance on College Game Day ever last year when he was the guest picker for the Ohio State in the rain game, which made zero sense then made less sense when he actually did it and was terrible at it. So I don't have a ton of good things to say about Harlow other than I guess I enjoy the fact that he represents Louisville as a city well, but when he does his Louisville fan stuff, especially in that moment, I was certainly annoyed by that. Um, But on that note, the last thing I didn't like was the dozens of Louisville fans who hit me up after the game talking trash to me as if they've been diehard fans and that they've endured all the trials and tribulations that have uh, come to the Louisville football program in the past, I don't know, six, seven years, really, ever since Lamar Jackson left. And even when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, I think they went seven and five that year. Either way, I thought I was being pretty respectful to the Louisville fan base in the lead up to that game. I said I thought they'd bring it. I thought they'd sell out and it'd be a really raucous environment. And then, oh, my God, after that game, actually, during that game, after the first interception, I got a FaceTime from one of my friends. So, like, whatever there. But after the game, I was getting hit up by people who I haven't talked to in years, talking Mm -hmm. trash to me, saying F Notre Dame and all this stuff. Okay, if you're going to talk trash and you endured all the bullshit as a fan along the way, respect. Like, if you have your moment, you earned it. But if you didn't, if you haven't gone to a game, if you haven't watched any of the team play and now you're talking trash, I hate that. I hate when fans do that. Or They're not even fans. They're just taking pride in the moment. And as Pete Sampson reported, some very unruly Louisville fans were hanging out outside the Notre Dame tunnel. It actually was a great reminder of why I hated Louisville growing up when I was living there. And uh, yeah, now they have a little bit of success and they went right back to being some of the most annoying and insufferable fans that I've ever encountered. I mean, are you surprised? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about your friends. I mean, like, no, and no offense no. to the fine people of Louisville, but when you think of that fan base, it's not the best picture you think of. It, it, there's a reason that the ACC always refers to itself as 14 like-minded schools and Louisville. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that that there's a reason for that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not shocked by that, and it would be absolutely hilarious because I. All the credit to that to that team. They showed a lot more energy than Notre Dame did, and a lot more physicality. But quarterback threw for 140 yards. They're not a very good team. If they turn around and lost to Pittsburgh next week, that'd be hilarious. I mean, they barely beat NC State, and NC State is not good. And Georgia and this Tech. Is, this so. is hey, Notre Dame is terrible right now. Yes. So I'm I don't want to absolve. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to absolve Notre Dame at all. 
we could be a lot more negative, which is scary because we've been pretty negative on this podcast. But yeah, it was just the aftermath. And it's, I don't want to be like a, I'm never going to be the, oh, stay classy guy, like whatever, have your moment, enjoy it, soak it up, storm the field, do all that. But I feel like there's some like sweat equity. There's some fan equity that people have to uh, earn in order to talk trash, uh, especially at the length and some of the stuff that I was seeing after the game. And frankly, I don't think Louisville fans have earned that, especially when it was their first sellout in four years. Okay, if they had sold out every game and they had supported uh, Louisville through the end of the Bobby Petrino disaster and the Satterfield era of mediocrity and then they wanted to come at me, okay, you know what, you earned it. But these people have not earned it, at least the ones who I have heard from. And, uh, yeah, it was really troubling. And it's why here we are recording this on Monday, and I'm still pissed, and I'm probably still going to be pissed about this one for a very long time. No argument for me. You only have the uh, same year, same sorry-ass Irish to thank. (laughs) All right. We'll call it there. We will be back with Luke next Tuesday, hopefully to talk about uh, a really big win against USC because if they're – if there is one thing that could turn the season around, it is definitely beating Caleb Williams at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Are you even mentally there to accept that or like even envision that as a real possibility? No, uh, I'm going to need some time. I I will be there, but I'm going to need some time to get there. (laughs) All right. Well, I can't wait to hear the report next week. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Locked On Irish. And tomorrow we can begin to turn the page to Notre Dame's upcoming game against USC Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. On your way out, remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast, and be sure to follow the show on social media. The Twitter account is at LockdownIrish. Instagram is at LockdownIrishPod. And my personal Twitter account is at TylerWOJCIAK. I'll see you guys tomorrow.